Good morning, guys. What is up? How's everyone doing? Awesome. All right. So we have a beautiful day out there, right? Is it, it was when I came in. Y'all didn't say anything. Is it bad? I don't want to go outside now. Oh, man. Okay, it's good. All right, good. We plan to go to the park after this. All right, guys. So um, I have a couple announcements. Then I will also be bringing the message. Um, so first thing is tomorrow is Memorial Day. So uh, we just want to take just a moment and remember those that have uh, given their lives for our country, that have, have paid the ultimate price for our freedom, um, that they stepped up and, and they did that. So this is the day where we honor them. It's not about a three-day weekend. It's about those who shed their blood for you and me. Um, so we're going to do that. We're going to watch a quick video, uh, and then we're just going to take a, a moment of silence to pray for them and the families and uh, everyone involved. Uh, then we'll share a prayer together, and, and we'll begin. So let's go and play that video. Sometime back, I received in the name of our country the bodies of four Marines who had died while on active duty. I said then that there is a special sadness that accompanies the death of a serviceman, for we're never quite good enough to them. Not really, we can't be because what they gave us is beyond our powers to repay. And so when a serviceman dies, it's a tear in the fabric, a break in the hole, and all we can do is remember. It is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country. For us, we owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. those who gave their life and to pray for their families. Father, we lift up to you today the families, the comrades, everyone involved, everyone who's felt the, the pain of losing a loved one overseas or here at home. God, we lift them to you. God, we know that your grace is sufficient. God, today we just pray for comfort and strength. God, we remember those that they loved and cared enough to lay down their lives so that we might have freedom. God, today we lift them to you. God, we remember and honor them, Lord. Give them peace. Give their families peace and comfort today, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we 
we go out this week, I do want us to, to remember uh, those that gave their life for us. Again, it's not about a three-day weekend, but it's about them. All right, so I have a question before I get started. Have you ever been, uh, like, in the middle of a... Have you ever been in the middle of a situation you can't get out of and then realized you had made a mistake? I, I have. I'll share the story with you. So I'm generous like that. Uh, so whenever I was growing up, my parents used to talk about this place, this place of fun and joy and excitement, uh, a place that they, they really enjoyed, and they, they had a great time, and they told stories that just made it sound magnificent and make it sound marvelous, and it sounded like such a great time. This place, of course, was uh, Six Flags, and um, they talked about it. They had, they had visited at some point, I assume, um, but they talked about it, and I remember growing up, a, a young buck about the age of seven or eight, I was really excited. I wanted to go to uh, Six Flags, and I wanted to ride all the rides. I thought that would be awesome. Um, but it, 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 times came and went, and we didn't go, and we didn't go until, until one year on a glorious income tax morning, sort of like Christmas, but the government pays you. Um, income tax morning, uh, we decided we're going to go. We're going to make it happen. Uh, and we do. And I was ecstatic. Little naive seven-year-old Jeff. I don't know how old I was. It was close to that, though, I'm sure. I was so excited to go, and I was going to ride every ride. The Superman, in particular, it was a big deal back then. I have no idea if it is now. Um, I was going to ride it. Um, so we, we, we began our journey uh, to Atlanta, which we lived in Georgia, but we hit Atlanta traffic. It took about three days to get through it. Um, then we finally arrived at the theme park. It took about 14 days to get through the line of there, and we got there. And have you ever walked in somewhere or, or maybe drove through somewhere, and it's just, it's more magnificent, it's more grand than you could have imagined, and you walk in, you're like, oh, wow right? Um, I, that's how, sort of how I was uh, as a young kid. I walked in and I was just so excited. Um, I was ready to ride all the rides and have all the cool stories to tell. Um, so we go to Superman. Uh, we're we're going to get on the Superman, uh, but I was too short. So uh, we had to go to the next best thing, uh, which was the green something. I don't know. It was the green, it was green dragon or something else. Anyway, we stand in line. We finally get in and get in the car, and the guy's rambling on about don't jump out or something, and, and, and he, he buckles me in, and then the ride starts, and we begin moving slow at first, and it's, you know, it's like, and you begin climbing this incline that goes straight up, something like this, you know, until you see clouds and birds and stuff. Like, it just, it just climbs. About halfway up, I realized something. I didn't know before. I was too young. I'm afraid of heights. No, not only am I afraid of heights, I am apparently terrified of heights. About halfway up, I realize this is a bad idea because I'm looking down and I am terrified. And I'm looking up and there's a long way to go. And as much as I screamed and cried, they would not stop this thing. I don't know why. I remember her mom sitting beside me. I still can't believe mom was in it. I guess she, was, she did that kind of stuff. But she was, so, so, I mean, I remember like begging her to somehow make it stop. Of course, she was not able. Uh, but it was just, oh, now that I think about it, it kind of gives me stress still today. I don't ride rods, just so you know. If we ever go anywhere, I'll hold your purse, okay? I'm not riding anything. I just, I'm getting that out front. Um, don't expect differently and ask the youth. Yeah, I don't give in to peer pressure either. You're not going to get me. I'm a chicken. I admit it proudly. But you won't hear about me dying in a skydiving accident. What? Oh, you should. But I've realized 
that my fear ultimately is not the fear of heights. Uh, because since this, I've had jobs where I've had to go up in high places. I've, I've drove cherry pickers, forklifts, genie lifts. I've changed light bulbs in the gym. I don't like it, per se, but Sherry forced me to do it, um, so I did it. It's not the fear of heights. It's the fear of uh, lack of control, right? If I can drive a lift and I can lift my lift up, I can climb a ladder, I can thus climb back down. However, if I put my hands into your life and climb into your little bucket that you click me into and you begin to pull me up an incline, I no longer have control. I've lost all control um, and, you know, it, I feel stuck. I guess that's the, that's the feeling is being stuck. Uh, an even worse example for me, uh, because I was an adult when this happened, but we went, who all's been to Ruby Falls? Oh, not as many. Okay, so not that many people make fun of me. All right, good. Um, so we went to Ruby Falls, and if you've never been there, it's uh, this, this cave in the ground. They put you in an elevator, and they, they lower you deep into the pits of the earth. Like, you can start feeling heat, if that you want. All right, it's, it's deep, though. Um, we went, and we did this, and, and it seemed like such a fun adventure. They have lights or something. I don't know. I didn't make it that far. But they lowered us down into this thing, and I remember getting out of the elevator and feeling so claustrophobic. It was just a feeling of, I can't get out. Like, it was that feeling of, like, I am stuck. I've lost all control. Like, it's, I don't know if that elevator breaks. I don't know if the elevator breaks, but it could. I've worked with enough things to know things break, all right? It could break, and just that thought was too much for me. Um, so we actually ended up leaving, and, and my sweet and beautiful wife was not very sweet that day because they would not refund our money, and apparently it was very expensive. So she was very rude to me that day. But anyway, it was, and I realized that it was the fear of being stuck because at the same time, a couple years ago, we went uh, splunking or like caving um, and you have to end this in a much tighter space. Like at Ruby Falls, you're in a giant cave, like you can play football in there, right? But I went caving where I actually crawled through a hole like this big. I crawled through on my belly with a mountain on my back and a mountain beneath me in a space like that. I'm sure I could still fit, don't look, all right? I did that. I squeezed through because the idea that what was in my head is that because I walked myself in, I could turn around and walk myself back out, right? So I didn't feel stuck. And I think inevitably we, we all have a fear of being stuck, to, of losing our freedom, of losing control, that if we really think about it, the idea that we can't move forward, we can't move back, it's, it's too much for us to bear. So the idea of being stuck, I think, is a fear most of us share. But we can also be stuck in non-physical ways. Yes, sometimes we can be stuck on a roller coaster and have to uh, curl up in the fetal position and scream and cry our whole way through. I'm not saying I did that, but sometimes we have to. Sometimes we can actually physically be stuck in something, Sometimes we can be emotionally stuck. Maybe we're stuck in a, a bad relationship. Or sometimes we can be spiritually stuck. We're stuck in a sin that we can't break free of. We're stuck in a pattern that we can't get out of. Sometimes we can be stuck in religion, even. You see, because what we're going to be talking about today is actually being stuck in sin and stuck in religion, because we're going to be going through Galatians 5, and that's a lot of what Paul is going to be talking about, is being stuck in sin and then being stuck in 
religion. Now, being stuck in religion may sound funny to you because you think, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be here and and be religious? Well, I want to differentiate Christianity from typical religion. Sure, by the world, we are categorized as religious. But the, the typical thought on religion is it is a set of rules. That is something you must do in order to earn your God's love and approval. Right? In Christianity, that's not how we have it. It's not a set of rules that we must abide by so that God may love us and, and show mercy on us. No, it's God loves us, so he shows love and mercy, thus we serve him out of love. Right? It's, it's the difference in being married to a spouse and you love your spouse, so you honor them, right? So you respect them, so you don't run out and cheat on them because you love them. It's different than you honor them and you serve them and you enslave yourself to them so that they will love you. You see the difference? Religion is us working for the love of a deity. Christianity is a deity that loves us, and so we serve him out of love. That's going to be the difference. But most don't see it that way. If you ask any, most, if you ask most non-Christians, what does it mean? Also, this is called claustrophobic Christianity. Probably should have said that at the beginning. If you ask most non-Christians, what does it mean to be a Christian? They'll give you a, a response. And sometimes if you ask a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? You'll get a response like, well, if you're a Christian, um, you can't do this. If you're a Christian, you, you don't do that, right? You, you don't cuss and you don't drink, and you don't get tattoos, and you, right, you, you have these, these rules, and apparently that is what it means to be a Christian, is that you, uh, you do certain things. Or sometimes they'll deem a, a Christian as a hypocrite, or they'll deem them as uh, another negative term, right? Because they have an idea of Christianity is all rule-based. But the thing is, is if we have that kind of Christianity, if that's the kind of faith that we have, we have a false faith. That is a law-based, that is a religion-based faith. Our faith is not that. It is actually a relationship with a God that loves us. That is what our entire faith is built on. You see, but many non-Christians will believe that Christians are boring um, because they believe our faith is based on a set of rules. Um, And I think a lot of Christians think that today. And Paul today is going to be talking to a a group, a a church, that had the same thought, that their faith was based on rules, right? So in in religion, you serve so that you may earn God's love. But in Christianity, you serve out of love because of love, right? You serve out of love because God loves you. And that's the difference. It's not... I serve him so that he will love, him, love me. It's I serve him because of love, not for love, right? So I do want to say that in Christianity, there are certain things we do, but we don't do to earn the love of God because God already lavished his love onto us. We do it because we love God in return, right? You see, the problem with religion, so I'm going to lay out what this religious Christianity is. is it's, it's the idea that, yes, God died for me, right? Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he laid on a cross, and he died. He gave up his life for you and me. Now, what I must do, 
oh, we just made a mistake. Now what I must do is I must, I must come to church, right? And, and then I've got to stop cussing. I've got to quit drinking. Um, I've got to start reading my Bible. I've got to start praying. I'm going to, you know, whole Bible, 365. I'm going to do it this time, right? And we start adding on all of these rules, and we start adding on all of these requirements that we must do in order to be saved. You know what we've just done? We've just said, Jesus, your death was not enough. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Because when we start to add to what Jesus did, what we're saying is it wasn't enough. Because if, if Jesus had to lay down his life, then I have to be perfect? Well, why'd he even do it? But that's what we do. Because I want to say it actually comes down to pride. Because we want to take some ownership with the grace of God. That we want to say that it's not just that it was a gift that God gave me, but I earned it. I worked really, really, really hard, and then God gave it to me. But that's not how it works. Because in order for us to earn earn the love and acceptance of a perfect God then we must be perfect. So I'm just going to ask the question real quick. When was the last time you were perfect? How'd that last diet go? How'd that workout plan go? How'd that Bible reading, you know, Bible in 365 days go? We are not perfect. So the idea that we are going to earn our way to a perfect God, that we are going to abide and and deem ourselves perfect by following a law, a set of rules, a set of commands, if we are going to do that, we've got to be perfect. The problem is we are flawed individuals. We're not perfect. So when we get stuck in religion, in the idea that we've got to do thing after thing after thing after thing so that God will love us, the problem is we're never going to truly feel that love of God because we're never going to deem ourselves qualified for that love of God. Right? Because we're always going to fall short. And in our mind and in our heart, we're going to know I am not good enough. No matter what face we put on for the rest of the world, we're going to know inside of us that we are not good enough. And guess what? This may sound like really, really bad news. But it's actually great news because God knew that. God knew that you would fall short. That all would fall short of the glory of God. He already knew that before the beginning of time. That God knew that and he made a plan for that. And that plan came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we don't have to be stuck in religion because God already loves you. You don't have to be perfect to earn the love of God. God already loves you. You can come to God because God loves you. You're not too dirty. You're not too broken. You're not too far gone because God loves you. Because I've invited friend after friend to church. And you know what answer I hear a lot? Man, if I walk into that church, it will burn to the ground. Have you ever heard that one? Like, bro, that's arson. Don't do that. All right? But it will burn to the ground. You know what, you know what they're saying? I mean, and they don't realize it because it's what they've seen when they look at Christians. What they're saying is, bro, I am too broken for God to love me. I'm, I'm too messed up for God to love me. Bro, I did too many bad things last night for God to love me. Why do they think that? Because they've seen religion. They've seen men and women trying to earn their way to God. They haven't seen us wear the face of a perfect, forgiving Savior. 
If we would go out into the world and we would love and we would accept and we would forgive with the grace that God offers to us, maybe that is the picture that unbelievers would get of our Jesus instead of a perfect God who demands perfection. Maybe if we were more forgiving and we were more accepting, if we actually lived out the love God called us to live, maybe they'd understand that Jesus loves them right where they are. You see, but so many people believe that they can't come to church, that they can't accept Jesus, that they can't read the Bible, that they can't pray because they're not good enough, that they messed up too much, that their sin is too big and their sin is too mighty. What we're essentially saying then is God can't handle my sin. You know what the secret is and the secret we know? He already did. The sins of the entire world, past, present, future, they have all been paid for by Jesus on the cross. It's not that your sin is too big or it is too mighty. He paid for it already. He's just waiting for you to come home and accept the gift he's already paid for. That's it. It's not that you're too great a sinner. It's not that you're too bad. You're too lost. You've messed up too many times. It's already paid for in full. You've just got to accept it. That's it. Nobody, nobody is outside the love of God. We've got to get that message to this culture. We've got to get this message to the world. You're not too far for God to love you. In fact, God loves you. That sin that you think separates you from God, he laid on a cross and he paid for it in full long before you ever committed it. You've just got to accept that gift. You've got to accept that gift. You've got to know that Jesus is enough, that his grace is sufficient. We have to break the strongholds of sin in our life, that we have to break the strongholds of even religion in our life because sin, life in the flesh, and life in religion are both saying what Jesus did is not quite enough. In Galatians 5, Paul's going to tell us that it's not all on you. So we'll start in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can go and open to Galatians 5. Not, it'll be on the Sky Bible. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, in Jewish tradition, a yoke was an a imagery of a guiding something that would guide people to righteousness. So in, in this Jewish tradition, they would have been taught that a yoke was a very good thing because you would put a yoke on yourself to guide you to righteousness. Now, we know this yoke they're speaking of is the law, that the law is put on individuals to lead them to righteousness. But what Paul is saying here, now that Christ has came, now that Christ has, has came and he has paid for your sin and he's given you a path, this same yoke that used to guide you to righteousness is now a yoke of slavery. And this is a yoke that keeps you in bondage. It keeps you from accepting and putting full faith in Jesus. That you're no longer, you don't think that you're just saved by the blood of Jesus, but now you're thinking you have to be saved by the blood of Jesus and the yoke of the law. It is a yoke of slavery. Let's put it like this. How many people have seen the movie 127 Hours? A few? Okay. 
a few of us. All right. Okay, so in this movie, it's a, it's a fairly graphic movie, um, but it, it's actually pretty inspirational too. Uh, in this movie, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Aaron Halston, and he is a adventurer, and he's out in like the Utah mountains, and he has a, a biking accident, and this is actually an entirely true story. He wrote a book on it, um, but he has like a, a mount, uh, an accident where he falls down like a, a ravine, and actually a boulder falls onto his arm and pins him in the ravine between the two canyons and this boulder on his arm. And I mean, obviously all the bones in his hands are crushed, and, and it's just, he, he's stuck there. And, and he has this entire weight of this boulder, and he still has like, all the rest of his body is free. So if you can imagine that, you were simply stuck by one limb. And his entire body is free, so he's able to like eat and drink, and he spends 127 hours or five days like this. I'm not going to spoil the ending for it uh, for you, but it is is a pretty crazy movie. Um, but I, I think of when I was reading this that that movie popped in my head that the weight of the law on us, right? Because the law, what the law said is you had to follow the law to perfection, then you might earn the love of God, right? Um, and still, then you had several ceremonies and practices they must do. They had to kill innocent animals and a whole bunch of other things that would definitely not be politically correct today. And you had these things, so you had the yoke of the law, but that law was almost like a boulder that you were not able to carry on your own. That it was like a, a, a boulder that you were holding onto when you had that weight on your back. It was simply too much for one man to carry in. And when you were under that law, you were, you were stuck. Right? You were stuck. But Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Verse 2, he says, and he get, this gets a little interesting. We'll unpack it. Verse 2, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. We'll unpack this. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Okay, so Paul says something here um, in, in verse 2 where he says, If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ has no value at all. Now we should unpack this because circumcision is a very common practice today. Um, it, so Paul is not saying the action of circumcision or actually being circumcised is a problem. He's not talking against that. What he's talking about is these Jewish laws that were being forced on to the Galatians. So they had false teachers that were essentially telling them that if they wanted to be saved, yes, they should follow Jesus, but they should also be circumcised. Now, this seems weird to us because it's not exactly a religious thing anymore, but uh, circumcision was an act of being Jewish. So if you became Jewish, you would be circumcised, uh, which it was a Bad thing if you're an adult. They did not have anesthetic. So the act of being circumcised was a, like a commandment of being Jewish. So what these teachers were telling them is, yes, you follow Jesus and you believe in Jesus, but you also must follow the law, right? And, and for us to just bring this home, it would ima imagine if you said, 
or someone you know says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he did that whole death thing. It was cool. Easter, yeah. Um, I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm saved through Jesus. But just in case, uh, I got my faithful Quran here, and I'm just going to worship Allah a little bit. Just, just in case. Just in case we're wrong about the Jesus thing. Just going to do a little bit of Allah. You know, um, and I'm, good, what's, I'm just doing a little Buddhist meditation, just in case, nirvana, right? And, uh, and I'm going to actually visit the Church of Latter-day Saints a little bit and go and, and join the Jehovah's Witnesses. And it, that dude saved by Jesus? <laughs> Absolutely not. He has no faith, right? Christianity is faith. It's faith in Jesus. So what they were essentially doing is, yes, I'm saved by Jesus. Jesus is so good. Yeah, WWJD, right? Um, but just in case, let's just go ahead and follow the law, just in case. It won't hurt to try, right? What you're saying, I don't believe Jesus' death was enough. It wasn't enough. I, got to, I, I believe in Jesus. He's a cool dude. Told some cool stories, but uh, I'm still going to follow the law just, just to be safe, right? That was an action of lack of faith in the work that Jesus did. You see, but Christ's work is completely sufficient. It's completely sufficient. They were showing a, a lack of faith because they didn't believe or they just wanted to make sure that they were really saved. And what Paul is saying is, if that is what you were doing, if you, if you believe in Jesus, but you believe you also must be circumcised, that means you're living under the law. Now, if you're living under the law, you can't live by one part of the law. Now you have to uphold the entire law. And again, you're under that yoke of slavery. But he's saying Christ wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. Now, he also goes on and he says circumcision or uncircumcision has no value. Now, we have to understand, this is a cultural thing. He's essentially saying being Jewish or being Greek, no value, doesn't matter. He's essentially saying being good or being bad, no value. Being straight and narrow, living on the streets, no value. Being perfect at church every single week or never attending church, no value. He's saying being addicted or or being clean, and being under the yoke of sin, or, or being perfect. It has no value. You know why? Because Jesus covered it all. That none of it separates you from the grace of God, right? None of it is too giant for God's grace to cover. So it has no value. It has no value because it has no cost because Christ paid for it all. So it has no value. Paul goes on. Verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will make no other view or that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Just so you know, I went ahead and looked that up in the Greek, just to make sure. It means what you think it means. Paul is saying, I wish they would go ahead and uh, castrate themselves. 
I would say that Paul is just a touch heated here. He's a little bit mad, all right? Paul's a little upset that the people that he had poured into are being led astray. The people that he had came and he had preached the gospel, he had founded a church that they are being led astray. Paul cared. That's what I think is powerful, is that Paul loved so deeply that he wished someone would emasculate themselves. I just want to know, 21st century church, do we love people that much? I mean, do do we love people enough that we care when Christians are being led astray? Do we care that there are people that we pass every single day, even in Bible Belt, Cumberland County, that do not know Jesus? Do we care? Is our heart breaking for the lost? Because the sad fact is, I think I shared last time I preached, that over 4,000 churches shut down every year in the United States, whereas 1,000 are being planted. Our culture is becoming more and more unchurched or de-churched. That means there's more and more people who do not know Jesus. Every single day, we encounter people who do not know the grace of God. But do we care? Because I want to go go on a limb and say that Paul's love for the lost was not limited to just him in the first century. I want to say that 11 men spread this gospel across the world. They clearly cared a little bit. But do we, as a 21st century church, do we care for the lost? Do we? Are we going out and are we loving people with the grace that God has called us to love with? Are we going out and when we encounter someone who doesn't know Jesus, is our heart broken to the fact that we're willing to have an awkward conversation to tell them about Jesus? Are we willing to do that or is their eternity not worth our conversation? You see, because there are people in hell today that are there because someone would not engage in an awkward conversation. Where are we at, church? Are we willing to be a little bit awkward so that souls could be saved. I pray that we are. Paul's going to continue this chapter in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, the flesh here is not skin and bone. It is, it is an imagery for our sinful nature. Right, our, our sin is uh, in the flesh. So when we hear the word sin or flesh, think of sinful nature. Um, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute, Paul. So you're not saying that we completely disregard the law. No, he's saying when we truly follow Jesus, we are fulfilling the law. That when we love like Jesus commanded us to love, we are fulfilling the law. Verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Can my helpers go ahead and come on up? Um, And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. That's powerful. Paul says here that 
the flesh or our sinful nature and the spirit are in contradiction to each other, that they are opposites. What that means to me is that we are being pulled in opposing directions. Is our TV in your way? There we go. Just go over there until you walk off the stage. You'll be good. All right. There's good. So what I'm saying, if you guys pull a little bit, is what we're being done, when we're trying to pursue both the flesh, there's going to be Jacob for this example, sorry, and the spirit, which is Marcy, what we're doing is we're being pulled in opposing directions. The problem is we can't hold on and eventually we break. Right, so we have to inevitably choose one or the other, that we can't hold on to both, so we've got to embrace either the spirit or the flesh. Now the problem is, when we come and we embrace the flesh, what ends up happening is not only have we given into the flesh, but we've actually entered into bondage to the flesh. Can we go and throw up that verse? Because it says, the fruit of the flesh is this, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what we see, and lead me around like a puppy, is when, when we give into the flesh, we are actually in bondage to the flesh. We are enslaved by the flesh. The flesh or our sinful desires actually become the very thing, even though we thought they were fun. We thought we were having a good time. We thought we were just getting together with a few friends. They become the very things that hold us down and they enslave us until we can't get out ourselves and we can't turn back and we become to a place where we think that we are so broken and so dirty that we can't come back to the spirit. Kind of not of you tied here. All right. <laughs> We get to a place where we think we can't come back to the Spirit, but that is the power of this gospel, is actually that if we would simply stop, even in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of pursuing the flesh and being enslaved and in bondage to the flesh, if we would stop and pray to the Spirit, the Spirit could free us. Could you free me? Yeah, you tied it loose. Thank you guys, you can go on down. Give them a hand. You. you see, we can't pursue both sin and the Spirit of God. That will mean we will inevitably cave in and honor one more than the other. And so often when we're trying to do both, what we're really doing is we're, we're choosing the flesh, but we're trying to stay churchy enough that God might still be there for us, you know? Or we're trying to live a life of sin in private so that our church friends don't know, right? But what we inevitably do is we put ourselves into slavery to sin, but the good news is, God knew that. Believe it or not, your, your sin did not catch God off guard. He knew the mistakes you would make. He knew the problems you would face. And you know what he does? He sends his Holy Spirit that is always there for that time when you're ready to come home. And that Holy Spirit is ready to free you in the blink of an eye. You've just got to make the decision to accept the God that loves you and saves you and gave his life for you. You see, you're never too far gone. God loves you. And though you may have given into the Spirit, may, or though you have given into the flesh, and maybe you are being led astray by sin, and you are, you are being controlled by that flesh, and you feel like you're too far gone, right? If you're one of those people that, Jeff, if I walk into church, it'll burn down. And you're here today, and it didn't. You know why? Because God's grace is sufficient. God's grace covers all. 
righteousness and, and brokenness. It has no value because neither of them are greater than his grace. God loves you and he is for you. They, he says the fruits of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Doesn't that sound beautiful? That's what we get when we follow the Spirit. We will get the fruits of the Spirit if we would follow Him, if we would let go and break free from our bondage and turn to Christ, we could be set free. You see, but still, we go back to the beginning because we have this religion mentality that says, Jeff, I'm not good enough. I can't come to God because God is perfect and, and He knows things about me you don't even know. That He knows my my every sin. He knows my darkest thoughts. He knows how broken and imperfect I am because we all are. You see, but the amazing thing is your sin will never outweigh his grace. You will never be a greater sinner than he is a savior. Never. So wherever you're at today, whether you are in bondage to sin and you are so deep in that you can't see a way out and you feel like that every day is just going to be horrible and you're going to cave and you're going to give in and you've been battling this sin and this temptation for years and you've never broken through. Or if you're in church every single week and you think, I'm never good enough. I don't have it together. I come in and I put on this Christian face and I walk out of here and Monday I'm not the same person. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. Wherever you are, God loves you. God has never not loved you. You know that? In the middle of your sin, when you're doing what you know you ought not do, God doesn't stop loving you. You may stop loving yourself, but God loves you, and he wants to set you free. Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, we break free from religion. We break free from sin. That the Spirit will come into us when we follow Jesus, will come into us and break us free, no matter how deep or dark you feel like you might be. The Spirit of God is there, and He is present, and He is there for you, and He wants you. But it takes you accepting the gift that He's already paid for. Come home. You're never too far gone. Because His grace is not limited by your mistakes. His grace is not limited by your mistakes. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your life has looked like up to this point. I don't know if you're battling sin or you're battling religion. But God wants you to know that you are never outside of his grace. You are never outside of his love. You see, you think, because I messed up, because I've lived my life like this, because I have made these mistakes and I've committed that sin and, and because I don't love myself, that God will never love me. But you want to know that the secret is? God knew you and he loved you before you were born. 
Before your parents knew your name, he had already thought about you. He had made a purpose and a plan for you, and he had created a place on this earth for you. And guess what? He knew even at that time every sin you would commit, every dirty thought that would go through your mind, every mistake you would make, every problem that you would let can control you, every temptation you would give into. He knew it before your parents knew who you were. He knew you even then, and he knew your flaws, and he knew your, your good parts. He knew everything about you, and guess what? He still loved you. He made way, a way for you to come to him no matter what. That when Jesus laid down his life and he took spikes through his hands and through his feet, he had you on his mind, and he was paying the price that you could not pay long before you ever made your mistakes. And he knew those mistakes even then. The grace of God is sufficient. It, your sin is not greater than his grace. You cannot mess up so much that God won't love you. God will always love you. And he is always there to set you free. You may not love yourself and you may not want to accept his love, but it is still there and it is still present. I'm calling you today to break free and follow him. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I give it all up to you. The mistakes, the problems, the pains, they're yours. I can't handle them. These hands are imperfect. They'll drop the ball every single time, but God, you won't because you're perfect. I give it to you. Be free today. Don't live life in bondage. Accept the perfect gift of our Savior. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Every head bowed and all the eyes closed. I want to speak just a moment to anyone here that may not know this Jesus that we're talking about. Maybe you, you know of Jesus, but you've never, you've never accepted him. You've never decided to actually follow him and take that step. If that's you here today and you want to make that decision, Scripture tells us it's very simple. It's, it's a decision. You, you say that, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins and you rose from the grave. Today I repent of my sins. If you say that, if you believe it in your heart and you speak it to Jesus like he's sitting in front of you, today you will be saved. If that's you today and you want to make that decision and you want to decide to follow Jesus, you want to break free of the bondage that is holding on to you, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and then you can put it right back down and I'm just going to lead you through a simple prayer that you're going to pray to God like he's in front of you. That's you and you want to make that decision. On the count of three, simply raise your hand and put it back down. One, two, three. Yeah. Awesome. That was you and you want to make that decision today. I just want you to bow your, keep your head bowed and just repeat this prayer after me, but don't just speak it to the room. You speak it audibly or silently, but I want you to pray it to God. He is present. The Holy Spirit is in this place. Jesus, today I follow you. I give you my life. God, today I repent. I'm sorry for all my sins. I will live my life following you. God, today I believe you sent your perfect son Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me, to set me free. You rose him from the dead. I believe he is the Son of God, and I give him my life. 
Today I follow you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, I believe you're saved today. And you've been set free. Let's just pray as a body as the worship team comes on out. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day. And we thank you for everything you do. God, we thank you for changed lives for we thank you for chains that are being broken today, God. We, just, we thank you that you are a God who loves, that though you are perfect, you do not expect perfection, but you love us despite our imperfection. God, we fall short and we fail on a daily basis, but that does not limit your grace. God, I thank you for who you are. I pray that your spirit be here, God, that you would speak to the hearts of each and every person here, that they might come to know you, accept you, and live their life in obedience to you, and they could experience the true freedom that you offer to them. God, you are so good. Let us break free of a spirit, or break free of the bondage of sin and religion, and follow you truthfully and hopefully today, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.